Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of the Holding Court podcast. Today, we have a very exciting guest. Janet Marie Smith will be joining us. She's the Executive Vice President of Planning and Development with the Dodgers, and she's joining us to discuss all the improvements and expansions that fans will finally get to take in during the 2021 season at Dodger Stadium. All coming up right now on Holding Court. Boom. I am really excited to talk to Janet today, but I am not excited to be sitting near you right now. A little upset with you. Oh, we're going to get right into this. <laughs> it's hard for me to look at you after what you've done. <laughs> Is it? It's that bad? It's pretty bad. Not that bad. Do you want Do you want me to say it or do you want to say it? I'll say it. I think there's two sides to every coin. So you can actually share your piece on the situation and then I will share my accurate and true perspective. I'll give the cliff notes. Okay. So we've obviously been in Arizona for spring training, month and a half, and had a whole lot of mail at the house that Courtney so graciously went through and separated (laughs) (laughs) and Courtney's a neat freak. So, and she's very organized. So she likes to make piles. So she has a go through pile and she has a moonshine pile and she has a (laughs) A pile of moonshine, (laughs) jars of moonshine. Well, yeah. (laughs) And she also has a shred pile a pile that usually I take into the paper shredder and I shred it up. Well, apparently there was a needs a stamp pile. <laughs> there was. And she has these she has these <laughs> hot pink post-its on each, each pile. pile. Uh-huh. Well, when I walked up to the table, I thought, "Oh, I'm going to be productive right now and I'm going to get ahead of schedule and I'm going to go take the shred pile and and shred the shred pile." Mm-hmm. And it was my experience that I only saw three post-its. Oh. I saw the moonshine pile. Um, Moon has some doctor's appointments coming up. Yeah, if you're was, wondering what the moonshine pile was. It was, was. to Moon's calendar, and it's her dog license renewal and Rigby's dog license renewal. So it was their paperwork that I need to make sure I put the appointment in my calendar. So I read that post-it, and then the pile next to it was the go-through pile. And then, which is usually mail that I've opened for you, but you need to, it's some, need some sort of attention from you, or you at least need to just glance at it and then move on. That is correct. <laughs> okay. And, and then what about the third and final post it that I <clears throat> saw was shred, but apparently there was a fourth post it that said needs a stamp, and it was one of Court's bills that she had filled out and put in an envelope and was ready to mail out. It just needed a stamp on it. Hence the post-it needs a stamp, but I did not see that post-it. It somehow made it into the shred pile. So I just picked up the whole thing, went in and shredded it. And she's angry at me because I shredded her bill. So what Shreddy Vetter is leaving out in this entire (laughs) situation is the fact that he was like, there was absolutely not a fourth post-it. So I was like, okay, like, should we check the cameras? Should we go to a replay? Wasn't an option. And so. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I. Court is like, (laughs) I think we've talked about this several times on the podcast. She is a super creep and she's not going to let anything 
get past her. So she literally was like, let's check the cameras and see if there was a post-it. And then she goes, <laughs> no, 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 wait. Let's do one better. <laughs> what does she do? She goes to the paper shredder, opens it up, yep. goes through the thousands of shreds and yep. finds the only little pink slivers. But you know it's easy to find in hot a pink bin <laughs> of white paper, hot pink post-its. And she literally pieces them together and she's like, do you want to tell me there wasn't a fourth post-it? And it literally says right there, needs a stamp in like 56 <laughs> different pieces. Thank God we did so many puzzles in spring training because I really think that that skill allowed me to piece together. And it was in different marker, like the shred pile was in red and the needs a stamp was in black. So I knew exactly what I was looking for. Whatever. Anyways. I screwed up. I don't, I'm stressed because my dermatologist, the bill that the bill is for is very old school and she doesn't have like online payment. Normally you just go on and like credit card done to like mail it in. It's not the, it's really sad. It's not the no postage necessary if mailed in the United States. So I have to actually get one of my stamps, which I guess I could have done at the exact moment, but I didn't think that Someone would come along and disrupt my piles before I was able to. <laughs> tend Moral to that. of the story is Justin wanted to come in after I had labored and done the uh, what's it called letter opener. I cut out all of the addresses so we don't have to like use the shredder blades on like packets and packets of paper. I try to minimize exactly what I'm shredding and then I can like recycle everything else. So I did all of this like difficult manual labor and then Justin comes in as the hero and just seals the victory by shredding everything. Did we mention we have a great guest today? <laughs> <sighs> I feel so much better talking this about this. This is what the podcast is for. So you can just, <laughs> this, this is beneficial to our marriage. You can air me out on the podcast and then we move on. You just... Clean your hands and, and we move on and we get a happy night's sleep. Well, I think we'll get feedback on what people think <laughs> about this. <laughs> I'm either going to be crazy and neurotic and a little over the top or I'm going to be or a both. hero. Or both. It's possible. All of the above. <laughs> but you oh, know what? Man. You don't get to the top without being organized and precise. And speaking of organized and precise and making it to the top our guest yeah janet marie smith i am really really excited to have janet on when i started the podcast she was one of the first people i thought of to have on here because all of the upgrades at dodger stadium and expansion and all of that was happening and at the time when i was thinking about the podcast we would be able to enjoy it sooner than expected but I just think there's just so much more buzz now after everyone's had to wait for so long to finally get into Dodger Stadium. The yeah. cutouts are gone. The cutouts are gone. It, it's crazy because they did put so much work into the stadium and it is really awesome out in the outfield. And then for them to like do the hustle and bustle and scramble to get this thing done and then you know, the pandemic hit and fans not even be able to experience it or enjoy it last year is just, it had to have been kind of devastating Yeah, for all the work that they put into it. So I'm excited for the fans. I'm excited for Janet and I'm excited for, you know, the whole organization who obviously put a lot of time and effort into it and 
for fans to see it on opening day and experience it finally. I love it. So the Dodgers actually announced in December that Janet Marie Smith was promoted to executive vice president of planning and development. She actually joined the Dodgers in 2012. And during her time there, she's overseen the large-scale improvements, expansion projects at Dodger Stadium and the club's home in the Dominican Republic, which is very cool. Um, From modernizing the stadium to incorporating the club's rich history into the ballpark experience, Smith's fan-friendly touches have helped keep Dodger Stadium the third oldest ballpark in baseball as one of the premier venues in all of sports. How can y'all be excited to talk to her? <laughs> no, she's reading through her stuff. It's crazy. All the all the stadiums she's had her hands on. I know. Yeah. Let's not spoil any of it. I know. She probably has so much good stuff for us. Yeah. All right. Well, let's bring her on and chat with her. Let's do it. Hi, Janet. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It has to be good. It's a week from opening day, almost. I know we're finally here. We're so excited to have you on here and chat all about the new renovations at Dodger stadium. But before we get into that, we have to kind of back it up and figure out how you got into this role as, you know, executive vice president of planning and development with the Dodgers and just figure out how your story started. Yeah. I'm kind of still trying to figure that out too. (laughs) So I, um, you know, I, I have a training and I have a degree as an architect and a planner. And I figured that really early at a school that I didn't want to design in a conventional way that I really liked managing projects and pulling together a big team of people. And I liked big urban projects sort of making things happen in a city much better than I did individual buildings. Um, so I had worked on things like Battery Park City in New York, which is, you know, a huge development on the water with office and retail and housing. And most importantly, the thing that sort of pulled at my heartstrings were the public parks and the promenades. I I just, I enjoy seeing people together. And I think that's one reason why baseball has always been my favorite sport is that it's just a place to come together and you have people from all walks of life and you can sit anywhere in whatever ballpark you're in and strike up a conversation and scorecards the same. And it's just, anyway, I just have always kind of felt that baseball had, um, you know, a place in the heart of America. So when I learned the Orioles were going to build a new ballpark in downtown Baltimore, uh, which I, I learned by sitting in the fans, <laughs> sitting in the stands, talking to fans at Memorial Stadium. Um, I thought, you know, I, like I should do that. Like I, like that, that would like that work, you know, that in my head, I just thought that would work for me. By then I had sort of figured out, I didn't really want a job. I liked working on projects. So I wrote to Larry Lucchino, who was the president of the Orioles. And after they turned me down several times, I got an interview, <laughs> but, um, so anyway, so that, that was my entree into that and into baseball as a, as a, as, as a profession. And um, after I had come, well, not even after I completed Camden Yards, but as Camden Yards was nearing completion, Stan Caston, who's of course the president of the Dodgers, um, came to walk through Camden Yards when it's still under construction. And he had this idea of taking the Olympic stadium that was being planned for Atlanta and trying to convert it to baseball. Um, while it was still on the drawing board, so it would, you know, be designed for baseball. 
and he and Larry Lucchino worked out, um, you know, an arrangement where basically I worked for both of them and shared my time. So here I am, you know, almost, golly, I hate to say 30 years later, because it makes me feel so old. I'm, anyway, I, so here I am working for Stan again at Dodger Stadium. He, he and, and, and in between, I worked for Larry a second time on the renovation of Fenway. I, honestly, I've just been so honored by both of them to be asked. Um, I think that's the ultimate compliment to be asked to work on a second project. Oh, definitely. Kind of grazed over the rejection. Can you, <laughs> can you chat about that a little bit more? Um, did it yeah, take I wrote, with, or showing your resume or what did that look like? Well, I got a letter. I got a letter from Calvin Hill. So it was like a rock. So I probably kept it because there's Calvin <laughs> Hill's autograph on the letter, but he was the head of um, human resources for the Orioles then. And, and I, uh, I got a letter that said, you know, that thanks. We're not hiring for this position now, but, um, you know, keep rooting for the Orioles. And uh, it was, it was a beautifully written letter, but it felt like a form letter to me. So I just ignored it. I thought, well, he probably said that by mistake. He just hasn't met me yet. So <laughs> I, I just kind of didn't let it get in the way. It's like how stores keep their first dollar bill from their sale. You keep the rejection letter from the Orioles. I know, I know, but I, um, I think I'm, you know, I mean, a firm believer that you create your own opportunities. You know, I uh, sometimes, especially when you're doing something for the first time, as Larry was when he built Camden Yards, you don't really know what kind of team you need to put something together. And he had such a fantastic group of architects with uh, Populous, the Kansas City-based firm that's done so many um, baseball and other sports facilities. Um, but he wanted it to fit into the city and he wanted to sort of harken back to parts like Ebbets and Fenway. And I felt I could bring something aesthetically to that because I, you know, as I said a few minutes ago, the sort of cities are my thing. And, um, one thing I love about my projects is you, you sort of, you know, you kind of go in, um, and sort of feel the place, you know, it's got to, every place has its own energy. And I just love Dodger Stadium for that reason, you know, like it's like no other. And ironically, as so many cities have followed the Camden Yards model and moved into an urban environment and become kind of part of the downtown, like Coors Field or Petco Park or, uh, you know, the Giants Park in San Francisco, it makes Dodger Stadium sitting here surrounded by beautiful Elysian Park with the San Gabriel Mountains even more special. And um, I, I've loved being a part of preserving that character and making certain that the additions that we've done really fit with that mid-century modern aesthetic. I mean, where else in baseball can you celebrate these rainbow colors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you, you talked about the aesthetic in, in Camden Yards. And obviously, I have a bias. Dodger Stadium's obviously my favorite place to play out of anywhere. But if I had to pick a second, I've told Courtney this uh, for Something as long that, as I've yeah. known her, my favorite place to go on the road is Camden Yards. The oh, aesthetic of it fantastic. is unbelievable. Um, I made my debut in the major leagues with the Orioles. I remember so, that. Yeah. So <laughs> it was one of my first stadiums and is there's just something about the green everywhere. And then the burnt orange on the warehouse that pops, that just makes it feel so like cool, like walking out of the tunnel into the dugout and onto the field. It's just 
like the contrast is, is just amazing. So you nailed it on the aesthetic in Camden Yard. Well, we were lucky to have that warehouse there. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine now that the warehouse was even a debate. You know, there was a lot of talk about tearing it down so that there'd be more room for the ballpark. And like, I was like, no, that's, you know, that's what is charming about those old mm-hmm. ballparks is that the playing fields dimensions were determined by the side around it. Like the green monster wasn't done for kicks. He ran out of real estate and left people. <laughs> so I, I just felt so strongly about that warehouse being there. And I, it's hard to believe that it's, um, yeah, it's hard to believe that it was even a debate, but I love hearing you say that, you know, it's, there's a whole, it, it's almost 30 now. And it's, well, I guess this is like it's 30th season. Yeah. So it's hard for me to imagine, you know, sometimes I speak at, I, you know, I teach at schools or speak at, you know, conventions or something. And, and I have to realize that I'm talking to people who don't know the before, who don't know anything about mm-hmm. that multi-purpose era and how radical this was. It's like they grew up with that generation of ballparks. Yeah. And the amazing thing is, is it holds, right? It's, it still seems like a, a pretty modern park uh, when you're at it and, and you're in attendance, but it has that old school feel with the warehouse and it has that character. So you obviously did a tremendous job on it. And uh, I, I'm sad we we're not going there this year, but looking forward to get back there next year. I hope. Yeah, I was able to go there when you you guys clinched. I think was that 20. Yeah. My years are such a scramble 19. now. 2019. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time I was able to see it. So that was really special because yeah, you had always talked about the burnt orange and the the view, and it's just being. I'm on a mission to go to all the stadiums. I'm almost there, but last year kind of. Threw a wrench into that. I was <laughs> but that's what makes baseball so special. Like, do you know any other sport where fans say, I want to go check a box? I've seen every NFL stadium or every NBA arena. It's like not a thing. And baseball has managed to sort of work its way into Americana that way. I know you always see the the posts or people talking about, oh, my my dad and I are all on this doing this summer trip and trying to go to every single stadium and Last year I was supposed to get my final two were going to be the Royals and the twins. And you guys were actually set to play them. And then I'm like, maybe this means my journey to all the stadiums wasn't supposed to be complete already. And you're supposed to keep going. So it's kind of fun to still have those two to chase and be able to see. Cause I feel like I get the question so much, what's your favorite stadium and what do you love about this park and that park? And I didn't realize I'd be such a source of information for all these people looking of where to go, but it is really special to, to be able to see all of them. Well, think about what you just said about how many times you hear people say, I did this with my dad. You know, it is, it's really a bonding thing, you know, whether you're with friends or family, it's really, there's something about the experience of baseball that's just very different than other sports. Yeah, definitely. And then we actually read somewhere uh, in, in an interview you did in the past we weren't creeping on you or anything, but we were. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were looking into it and preparing for this interview, uh, you would, you had made mention of something about the uniqueness of baseball and designing stadiums for baseball, because once you walk through the door and you see the field, every field is different. There's no guidelines or there's no restrictions on dimensions and what you have to do. So you really brings out the creativeness for someone like yourself, who's designing a park. Is that something that you just absolutely love? You don't have to just go in and put in a hundred yard 
football field? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of the park. I mean, the park's got its own personality. You know better than I, but it plays differently, right? It's a different game depending on the field, the outfield dimensions, the amount of foul territory, the, um, you know, the, the fence heights. And um, one, one thing I've really, you know, I've enjoyed that as a fan, it certainly makes the game more interesting and it makes the place more interesting, gives fans something to talk about. But I really learned a lot from Frank Robinson, who was our manager at the Orioles when we did Camden Yards. And, you know, Frank had played in these older parks. And so he could speak with credibility and, an, and, and a, a firsthand experience about what it was like to be on the terrace of Crosley Field, you know, it wasn't even flat. It had a third dimension to the terrace and what it would be, what a difference it made to know the park and to have a home park and to really feel like that was part of your strat your game strategy was knowing that field. And he felt very strongly about creating a park in Baltimore that played fair. You know, he didn't want it to favor lefties over righties. He didn't want it to favor pitchers over hitters. He felt strongly about it being asymmetrical and unique, but fair. And if he said that once, he must have said it a thousand times. I have it like etched on my brain. But that was really amazing to, you know, to have the opportunity to learn that from someone like Frank Robinson. So that's something that's kind of discussed with you going into designing a ballpark is what are you coming up with these dimensions or is your boss or who's coming up with the dimensions saying, Hey, (laughs) we want to make it 410 feet to center. And we want it to be 387 in left center, but 367 in right. Like who comes up with those dimensions and is there like a rhyme or a reason to it? Or is it just kind of like, Oh, we want this really cool, like overhang in right field, like in city field where there's like a little cutout, like, you know what I mean? Who, how does that come about? Yeah, it to you? I, I, my personal feeling is that you let the site tell you what to do. You let the place tell you what to do, but then you go and you, you test it. Um, you know, you, you test it through a lot of different lenses, but most importantly through the baseball lens. And um, I think in Baltimore, Frank Robinson's approach to that was very intuitive. Um, now with foul territory, which is sort of, a, uh, I don't want to say easier, but was something we, you can measure when you measure anything, but the foul territory we really measured because at the time there were so many multi-purpose stadiums. So it had huge amount of foul territory. And so we really studied the Fenways, the Wrigley's, the Tiger Stadium, New Comiskey. They were, both were on their way out, but we still looked at that, but today it's done much more scientifically. And I've, I've, I've had a chance to work recently with Larry Lucchino again on uh, the AAA Red Sox park that's being built in Worcester, Massachusetts. And it's also this very tight site with a short right field distance. And the way the Red Sox analyzed this park is they had their analytics group on the baseball side um, measure the fair territory in terms of square footage, the foul territory in terms of square footage, the fence heights. And then they had this whole complicated formula that it's probably like the secret formula for Coca-Cola they didn't share with anybody. <laughs> this, this fit out this like you need to adjust the you know the power alleys need to be a little further out. You, you, you make the adjustments 
so that it works for baseball because I think you know sort of Frank's advice still rings in my ears 30 years later that it needs to play fair. You know, it's so interesting thinking about maybe what would make a park your favorite or somewhere you love to play. Cause I think when people ask us our favorite places to go and for you to play, they would just expect us to say New York or LA or Chicago because of the city itself. And so it was always, I think that was what was so interesting when you mentioned Baltimore I know you love Baltimore and I enjoyed our visit there, but it's not what you would think someone would just throw out there as their favorite city to go to. You'd assume you'd pick Chicago for the restaurants and the lake and all of this. So it's interesting. What would be maybe what determines that for you of, of the vibe and maybe the dimensions or, you know, pitcher likes this park or hitter likes this park versus the fan experience. Like, what does that look like to gather information where you kind of please everyone? Is that just like a data gathering of like surveys or just talking to people? Or you mentioned going to different parks and finding out what people love talking to players or executives. Like, how does that, how do you gather all of that information? You you just nailed it. It's a big puzzle. And you, (laughs) you know, you try to make all the pieces fit together. And I think all, I mean, all, all the groups of people you just mentioned are so important, Courtney, you know, getting fan input. Don't think you're ever the expert. That's one thing I learned a long time ago. You are never the expert, right? There's always somebody who's seen more games at that park, who knows the roster better, like who knows the food in that town, who can tell you the traditions for the national anthem and the seventh inning stretch. Like there's always somebody that knows more than you do. So better pay attention is mostly what I've learned. (laughs) But I think, so I I really feel like my job is to synthesize all of that. Um, And yeah, there always is a boss for sure. There's, you know, you're never, you're (laughs) never an island. There's always a boss, but I think a lot of what my bosses expect from me is to synthesize things and bring them, bring them to them for, um, you know, for uh, to make certain that I follow their directive, but I also massage so that all of these other groups have some input in it. And I do feel really strongly about maintaining that personality. You know, I think everything in America is starting to look more alike, right? You can go your target and uh, you know, in, in Los Angeles is laid out the same way as the Target in Tampa. So it, and like, when it's not, it really throws you for a loop. You're like, wait, grocery's <laughs> supposed to be over here. And you just feel like you're in another planet. <laughs> I know, so everything's starting to look more alike, you know, even, you know, even sort of, you know, so I think it's really important that baseball maintain the regional characteristics that define it in the first place. And that extends to everything. I, um, you know, it, I mean, the, the uniforms and the traditions and all of that. And, and I think one reason I've really just loved working for the Dodgers for, I mean, so many obvious reasons, but when Stan Kasten first brought me here in 2012 and walked around Dodger Stadium, he's like, good gracious, like, look at the Dodgers history. And there's nothing hanging on the walls that would tell the story of this rich franchise and its colorful past. And it, you know, it, it's so intertwined with America's past, you know, and the um, the opportunity to kind of shake our archives out and put things around Dodger Stadium that tell that story and treat our memorabilia as if it were art has been just such a kick, you know, and even when we redid the clubhouse in 2013 and we 
took out those field level seats and went down and built ourselves a basement. We kind of lovingly took apart the 1962 clubhouse and we kept the lockers, we kept the Dodger tiles off of the walls. You know, we tried to think of everything as having uh, a meaning and something special so that this didn't become a place that could be just anywhere in America, it could only be here in Los Angeles. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's time for us to get into Dodger Stadium and talk about <laughs> what has been done there, not only um, before last season, but you mentioned 2012 when you first came in. And what I'm curious about is when Stan brings you into Dodger Stadium for the first time, and obviously we had a new ownership group and it is a historic stadium. So the goal is to maintain uh, the overall look of the stadium, but update everything and upgrade everything, right? So he comes to you and says, hey, we want to we want to dig out this bunker and we want to redo the locker rooms and redo the dugouts. Is that when they came to you, was that phase one and then they have a phase two and a phase three and a phase four? Or at the time, was that just like, <laughs> OK, this is phase one. This is what we're going to do. Let's get this done and then we'll figure everything else later. When Stan brought me in in August of 2012, which was a few months after the new ownership group took over in May, he said to me, every ownership group has promised the players a new clubhouse. He said, I'm not promising anything. I want a new clubhouse here when they show up. And we were like, well, okay, you know, (laughs) that means we have to, that means we've got to figure it out and get it, be ready to start. And October, November. And I think one of the reasons that it had been so challenging for those who tried before is they kept looking to go back into the hillside. And uh, in in left field where the home clubhouse is located, there's bedrock behind there. And they never could figure out how to go back into that bedrock during a single off season. So I can tell from looking through our, our records that there was a lot of discussion about could we move the home team clubhouse for one year while we do this? You know, all these things. And I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, and we're not smarter than everybody else. Like if they couldn't figure it out, like, I don't know why we would even waste energy thinking about it. So we <laughs> come up with a new idea. So the idea that we had was, okay, let's just take off the seats. Let's go down, build ourselves a basement, put the seats back on. Nobody will ever know we added that square footage, but it'll give us the, space we need to add the batting tunnels and the conditioning room and the uh, coaches lockers and all the things that you know a clubhouse is you know better than anybody like the the locker room in the clubhouse is only 20 percent of it these days it's all this other stuff and um stan's mandate was really you know quite focused he's like i want I, i i want the players to have it when they walk in in april and by the way from a fan perspective, you only have one chance to make a good impression. So I want the fans to feel the commitment of this ownership group when they come back too. And Dodger Stadium was still 1962, not in a good way, in a lot of areas, <laughs> in the restrooms, the concessions, the concourses were not as wide as they could have been. We still had 56,000 seats, like put your bottom in a chair with two armrests, Today we have a capacity of 56,000, but we've taken a lot of that and created standing room and places where you can just sort of hang out at a bar and watch the game. And sort of made it a little bit looser and more elastic with just kind of gently massaging what was there. Sometimes renovation is taking out, not adding in. 
And um, Stan was very clear on what he wanted. You know, of course he was, of course, of course he would be. He's not only, you know, seasoned at this, having uh, built a park in Atlanta and one in Washington, but there is nobody that walks around a building more than Stan Caston does. You know, <laughs> I think I walk around the building more, but I'll be like, wait a minute, you were just on the reserve level. What are you doing down here on Loge? And there there's he multiple is, you know? stands everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, multiple stands, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the, I feel like the, for me, the pressure of, cause people, I feel like in baseball, the purists, they don't, they resist change. They, they freak out and they, even any sort of thought of something being different or rule changes or anything, people are like, whoa, 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 don't touch anything. But I think, I mean, there has to be pressure in making these upgrades, but also fans have to be like, obviously intrigued because you're improving upon the experience. So what is the pressure like of being able to maintain it, but also kind of, I guess, like you said, not touch it too much where people are, are open to it and, and want to check it out. Well, I'll give you a Fenway story because it's one of my favorite examples of that. One of the first things that we did at Fenway Park when we started that 10 years worth of improvements was to put the seats on top of the Green Monster. Part of the reason we did that as an early idea was it was a bit of a litmus test to see not only would fans accept what level of change would they accept, but also to see how the neighborhood and the city and the historic preservationists would react to a shift like that. It's probably the most radical thing we did, which is one of the reasons we did it first. But the other thing we did that same year is we widened the concourse behind underneath the bleachers. And we did that by taking an alley that had separated Fenway Park from the adjoining garage. And we went to the city and we decommissioned the alley so that we could grow the concourse into it and put the restrooms actually in the garage building next door, the concessions and the restrooms in the garage building next door. So the concourse went from being 20 feet wide to about 60 feet wide. And we, when, when we, in a way that was a more radical change. So the first day that we had fans there after we'd done that, I stayed out in the bleachers and just kind of listened to comments. <laughs> and one of my favorite was from this guy who's walking down the, down, down the concourse with his buddy. And he says, you know, they have painted this whole thing since I was here last. And I thought, well, that's <laughs> a compliment, right? <laughs> if he spent, you know, $20 million and made this huge shift and he sees a coat of paint. That's, um, you know, what you want is for fans to feel that the experience is current while the building is still your, in the case of Fenway, your grandfather's ballpark. And right, I guess now at Dodger Stadium, we're old enough to be your grandfather's ballpark too. Yeah, I actually had the chance to sit on top of the Green Monster two years ago, and that was the most incredible experience. My friend is a diehard Red Sox fan. It was like, I have to splurge on these seats. We have to do it. And the perspective from those seats is unbelievable. You feel like you're in the outfield and like looking down on the left fielder. And it was, yeah, that was incredible. I can see why those are such a hit and it's, yeah. <laughs> it was well, maybe one of the first times that, um, that a non-traditional stadium seat had been introduced into a baseball environment. And uh, the idea of doing a drink rail and a bar stool, almost like it was the press box or something, um, was meant to preserve the novelty of it. You know, I think at the time, a lot of, 
a lot of fans said, well, gee, if you're going to put seats on the Green Monster, why don't you put 2,000 instead of 200? But we felt that if you put 2,000, that once the novelty wore off, it'd just be another outfield seat. Whereas if you kept it special, it, its cachet would hold. So since your friend made that a priority, maybe yeah. that worked. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're talking about these outfield seats now because it's time to transition into our new upgrades in this, into uh, the Centerfield Plaza. And we've already talked about this on the podcast uh, a few times, but one of my favorite things about it is the home run seats. Oh, I was hoping have, you'd say that. <laughs> that you have added. And I actually, um, last year, right before our 60-game season, we played a couple exhibition games and I finished in like this fourth or fifth inning and came out of the game. And I actually walked out into left center field and sat in those seats right, I remember. to take in a couple innings. And I got to say, I haven't been up to the Fenway seats like her, but I, I would put it on the same level. It's just an unbelievable it's place a to sweet sit. Spot. There's literally nothing in front of you. You almost feel like you're floating in the left center field gap watching the game and i've i've said it on here a few times like if the fans get the opportunity you have to sit in those seats and take in a game because i don't think there's going to be anything like it isn't it crazy to think that for 50 something years those seats were occupied by exit stairs mm -hmm. yeah it, it was really a hazard if you were walking from the concession stand with a beer and some nachos or <laughs> going down to go to the bathroom, there's a chance you get bonked in the head by a Homer because you <laughs> right, went downstairs right. and it was there like, your investment. yeah, yeah. but no, they're incredible. So, um, who, how did that come about? How did that, was that your idea? Is that something you want to do? Was it, well, I think, you, every, you know, I, it's, it's always so hard when to pen an idea on to take credit for something when you have so many people involved, uh, but I think it was, you know, again, Stan's challenge was, look, the outfield is so special um, at every at every ballpark. Why not make ours more special? Ours has this beautiful, iconic look with the folded roof and the palm trees. But the experience was pretty basic. You know, it was a bench seat. And um, I mean, they, there were not even restrooms under the pavilions until 2013. Mm -hmm. You had to go to Dodger Stadium proper for the restroom. So it was really, um, it was an area that was begging for some love. And so in an effort to try to figure out how we could take that classic bench seating and add something new without changing its look, we had three ideas um, that were executed. We had a million ideas, but three that we did. <laughs> Uh, the home run seats, which you have so perfectly described as being these two rows of drink rails and bar stools that fill the cavity where the exit stairs used to be. And then on the back of the pavilions, um, we took out the last few rows and we built ourselves this big platform that's connected by a bridge uh, back to Dodger Stadium so that you've got um, drink rails for just kind of hanging out, stretching your legs. You can look over and see what's going on in the plaza behind you. You can look, watch the game. It gives us the ability to do, um, to do seating for those in wheelchairs while still having the views over the fans in front of them, something that the pavilions never had before. And then the third thing we did that 
this gets a little code geeky if you're kind of code geeky, but you have to have all these exits, right? So we took the exit stairs out. Um, so now we've got to replace them with something. So in addition to adding stairs on the ends that mimic the original ones that were there, but now are also existing um, on the ends and back to the bridge. So the bridge that I described has its own way out, but then we did these cutouts, you know, and most, most stadia you see vomitories where the, every section is divided by this little, you know, mouse hole where you kind of mm-hmm. creep through to get to the, your seats. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can create a bigger opening. So instead of doing lots of little ones in the pavilions, we created one window right in the middle. And so it gives this sort of focal point right underneath those hexagonal scoreboards. It also meets our exit requirements uh, for getting everyone out safely, but it gives us this sort of window into Dodger Stadium through the pavilions that's really magical. Yeah, and those windows are awesome because it I, I think it's a cool place where fans will be able to just stand up there and take their time, you know, getting back to their seats and and enjoy it. And it is wide. And I'm sure a lot of fans have actually seen that window because we used it last year in the middle of our season as a way to set our fantasy football draft order. We put a golf mat up there and hit golf balls from that platform <laughs> towards home plate. So it's definitely a multi-purpose window. You're using it in ways we couldn't <laughs> have even imagined. It's it's a great golf shot. I, I got to tell you, it's unbelievable. Um, <laughs> but fun. what I, I also think is unique about it and new is, is there's actually, you took, the outfield bleachers used to be basically one level. You enter from the ground and, and go up. And if you were at the top level, you had to climb all the way up. And now I, I believe it's three, right? There's a- yeah. There's a top floor, there's the middle floor where the cutout is, and then there's also a ground level um, where the stairs are on the end and you can go down, which is cool. So I think those outfield bleacher seats are so much more accessible. And then what you also did, which I think is going to make a lot of appeal to the bleacher creatures, if you want to call them, the, <laughs> the fans out there, is the, the center field bar right above the, the hitter's eye, which is going to be, I think, a pretty popping place and there's actually seating along the rail. You can almost feel like you're sitting above the hitter's eye, right? Yeah, it is. It's a, yeah, there's a, a, the Michelob Ultra Bar sits right, right above the batter's eye. And uh, it's got uh, views in all directions. And it's one of the few places at Dodger Stadium that has 360 views. And to be able to, as a fan, have the same view as the center field camera, it's, yeah, it's to die far. So, <laughs> Hopefully, um, hopefully we'll get fans back and they can enjoy it this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we want to touch on a few other things that that have gone in. Uh, Obviously, one of the biggest highlights is that there's now an official entrance into Dodger Stadium (laughs) in center field. There never was before. There was all different entry points. But if you were sitting in the bleachers, you had to walk all the way around up a hill through an escalator. You know, got your steps in. Yeah, it was a journey. (laughs) Now there's a actual official entrance into Dodger Stadium in center field. And we got an opportunity to take this little tour last year. And one of the coolest things, uh, I mean, everything about the new upgrades are pretty cool, actually. But one of the things I love the most is when you walk in the center field gate, if you go to a game early enough and batting practice is, is happening, uh, the center field gate should be open. 
And from that entrance gate, you can see all the way down to home plate, right? Is that yeah. something, was that a design feature that you guys yeah. like made it a point to put in? Because I think that it's genius. Yeah. So our batter's eye, as you know, better than anyone has rolled down gates so that during the game, um, it functions as a backdrop. But uh, non-game time, we can pull those gates up. And as you just described, you open the center field fence and you can see all the way in. And so it's Stan has always said, look, Dodger Stadium has no front door. Like every, every other baseball park has a front door. Where is Dodger Stadium's front door? So it seemed like the perfect place to do this right on access with center field with that glorious view. It also happens to be where our Metro buses stop, where the majority of our fans who've chosen to park in Dodger Stadium's parking lots naturally would enter that way. Um, we used to have to make them walk around the stadium because we didn't have this entrance, but that will make it more convenient for fans. And we did a, a study on the circulation at Dodger Stadium. And one of the things we found was that our fans often spend 20 minutes from when they think they've arrived at Dodger Stadium until they actually have their tickets scanned. And so this new entrance is more than just ceremonial. It's meant to allow fans to get into Dodger Stadium and experience it more quickly. So we also added five new elevators and four new escalators to make it easier to get around. It's funny. The buzz around the new elevators has been monumental <laughs> for the players too. For and the anyone, players too. <laughs> anyone that's been lucky to take a ride in the, the, the OG, I feel like they're from back when the park was first built, but it's, it was a much needed upgrade. And it's just funny how excited everyone is over an elevator. I know. <laughs> isn't it? It's hysterical. I, I love it though, because it, underscores the need just like you said like people wouldn't be that excited about an elevator if it wasn't so desperately needed yeah a, a couple other things that went in there there's also a few a bar a left field bar and a right field bar are you able to talk about this or this i mean one of them is actually a secret i believe yeah one well, there's, to be a there's secret. still some secrets and we won't talk about the secret one <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's a lot, there's a lot of fun stuff in center field. I mean, my favorite things, maybe things like the fire truck that sells the micheladas and the really lemonade cool. and yeah. the food truck that's going to have chefs from different restaurants, every home stand. So there's that old ice cream truck from the sixties. Like that's kind of, that's really, they're just fun little toys that could only exist at a place like Dodger stadium. I think LA fans kind of have a little bit of a reputation of getting to the game late. And I think it's largely due to traffic in the city. And I, I think it's so cool that this is going to encourage people to come early to the game and really get the full experience. Cause I think like you mentioned before, you have to account for the time to park and get your ticket and find, you know, one of the entrances. And now with everything a little more streamlined and a little more functional, I really hope this encourages fans to come early and really, I mean, there's so much to see and experience. And you mentioned a little earlier that Stan mentioned the history of the team and everything, you know, that it stands for and not really having that honored in the way that it should. And so speak a little to some of the things that you can see to honor, you know, the legends of Dodger stadium. Well, 
there's of course the the legends of the Dodgers. They're the retired numbers. We've got um, the Gold Glove Bar, which has got go you know the Gold Gloves for every Dodger that's ever won that award. And that I mean that's just fantastic bling to have. <laughs> every fan can go and see. So that memorabilia is on display in center field. Um, and then we have five of the lockers that we took out of the clubhouse in 2013 are, are out there. And every year we'll do something different in those lockers. This year, we're, of course, celebrating Tommy Lasorda. Um, and he, his family was generous enough to loan a lot of his materials to us. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's just so much that we have in our history that tells a story not just about baseball, but about these, you know, legendary figures who have, um, who have passed through these doors. So it's nice to have a place where every fan can see them because we've got the, you know, these beautiful places like the, the dugout club where we have our World Series trophies and MVP and Cy Young awards and things like that, that you can see if you're either lucky enough to have a ticket there or if you take a tour of Dodger Stadium, but we wanted some place where any fan with any ticket could take in the, some of this kind of fun stuff. And so that was that was one of Stan's challenges. He said, "Figure out, just figure out how to do it, because I there's just it's too rich, it's too much stuff. We don't need it in a warehouse. Don't need to preserve it for, you know, for, as if it were an object under glass. Let's get it out there for fans to enjoy." Yeah. You mentioned that's your favorite part of going to work every day was walking that hallway and just seeing all of the memorabilia and the history. So to be able to have some of that out there for fans, every fan, no matter what their ticket is to be able to experience is really cool. And you talked about the legends. There's actually two legends that will greet every fan who walks through that center field gate. Do you want to touch a little bit about that and what it took to get those guys out there? Cause one of them had to be moved and one of them had to be built, right? Yeah, that you're referring to the Jackie Robinson sculpture Actually, that's yes. out there today. And we're planning to do a sculpture of Sandy Koufax mm-hmm. that as soon as we get past COVID, we'll look yeah. forward to unveiling. Uh, and um, to do the Jackie Robinson sculpture was just amazing. Um, it's, you know, he's such a powerful figure. And uh, we just felt so honored to work with his family on not just the sculpture, but those quotes. I mean, the work, Jackie's words are still, you know, they kind of give you um, shivers just yeah. reading, reading some of the things that he had to say. And it just seemed like the right time, not only in Dodger history, but in America's history, to have something that significant. And uh, Stan always wanted to do that at our front door. So there, there it is. And then uh, the Sandy Kopak sculpture will follow shortly after. And there's someone else who uh, has a, a place in America's history that's really significant. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think I want to start a petition if I already hasn't been started. Um, once Sandy's done, we, we got to get Tommy out there to uh, join the join the guys and welcome everyone to Dodger Stadium. Weren't, weren't we lucky to have Tommy for oh, so man. many decades? Yes. Just it, it was I, I, I think about that all the time, how um, just I don't know how any other word for it how lucky we were to have someone like him as motivational inspirational and he just 
I, 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 my office is next to his and sometimes I would find a photograph or something I didn't know the story behind and I asked Tommy and what could have been a yes or no answer would end up being this hour long like I, I couldn't believe the things I, I learned from him the things that he could tell and uh, hopefully they're well chronicled somewhere because he will sure be missed. Yeah, he he definitely is going to be missed. And like you said, he always had time. And even even when you weren't looking for time, he had time for you. And (laughs) uh, ma'am, Court and I love him dearly and and we're going to miss him. And uh, it doesn't matter who you are. If if you've ever met Tommy or been around Tommy, uh, you know, he's left such a a mark in your life and, and such a huge man, like everyone that talks about him just lights up and smiles and, and laughs and has such a unique story to tell about him. So he will definitely be missed. Well, Janet, we thank you for your time coming on here today, talking about your experience, your journey. And one of the things I wanted to mention real quick before we go, that's unique about the Centerfield Plaza is most stadiums have, you know, Wrigleyville outside the stadium or in Fenway on the the street outside the stadium, but Dodger stadium now has their little hangout area. It's actually inside the stadium, which is really unique. I don't think there's very many places like that. I mean, I know Petco and San Diego has the big open area in center field where fans like to hang out. Um, So I I feel like this is like court said, it's really going to encourage fans to show up earlier and hang out earlier and also after games, you know, stay longer. And I don't know how long they're going to keep things open out there, but <laughs> I'm, we're just so excited. We're, we're so excited for the run. We were excited last year and almost, we were devastated that, you know, fans weren't going to get to experience all the work that you guys put into uh, creating this environment for them. So we couldn't be more excited for them to actually see it this year and experience it. Well, it's the open fact that you all got to see it and, 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 and participate in it really enriched it. I think we, you know, it's the joy in doing a project like this is seeing it used. And in the absence of having thousands of fans seeing, seeing our, our team, our players out there having fun with it was just such a kick. And, so you'll be a great ambassador for, for what's to come. And um, thank you. Yeah, there was already such a buildup of excitement. And I obviously the past year just increased that, you know, tremendously. So there there's so much buzz around it. And the announcement of fans being able to come this year, even though limited, you have to just be so excited. <laughs> Are you going to be sitting I, out there listening to all the feedback in center? I, I will. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think that's the best way to, you know, you, you always do. So you'll know how to adjust. Like you never get it totally right. The first time there'll be something that has the lines are too long and something that nobody's interested in. You always <laughs> have some course corrections to do, but just seeing fans, take part of it is that that that's the real that that's the joy that's the real reward yeah I love it and Justin mentioned the phase one and this seems to be phase two do you have any insight on this gondola experience that we're hearing about (laughs) (laughs) I am obsessed with this idea and the secrets that have to be kept the renderings you can tell me you can't talk about it but do you have anything (laughs) to do with the (laughs) this project as well yeah you know we're look we're we'd be thrilled if that were to happen it's an idea to um invest in a gondola that would take 
take you from the Dodger Stadium um, site directly to Union Station where you could connect with other mass transit. So ha having seen the popularity of our Metro buses, which is a free shuttle from Union Station, yeah. we, know, we know that that Union Station hub is really working and uh, why not make it work extra hard? So uh, yeah. yeah, if that were to happen, nobody would be happier than us and the 56,000 fans that are here at Dodger Stadium. I know I'm always someone that's pushing for people to use more of the public transit in LA for some reason. It's, I mean, it's a little different than in New York and all that, but I took it through college. We've taken it to Staples center and it, it's so helpful. So to be it able to is. assist in the traffic that I mentioned that causes a lot of people to <laughs> show up a little late to the games and have to, a lot of times leave early. I know being at games at Staples that have went late. You're like, oh gosh, the last train is at this time. I got to get out of there. So I feel like anything to kind of assist with, with the ease of getting to Dodger stadium is I'm all for it. You're spot on. <laughs> A lot of fans that would agree with you about that, but you're also right about the transit system in LA becoming more and more robust and more and more popular. We've seen every year we see enhanced ridership on our Metro buses and the beauty of the way Metro runs those buses is they'll just keep sending them out as long mm -hmm. as there's fans on them. Like there's no maximum capacity. And they're, as I know, you've probably seen lined up waiting. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Starting at about the sixth inning. So they'll just carry you out until I think an hour after the game. And so uh, I think giving our fans more opportunities to enjoy partake of offerings at Dodger stadium is still and they've got a free ride afterwards. What could beat it? Well, the ride is sometimes the after party for some of the fans That's Cele where the celebrating that win <laughs> Randy Newman style. Yeah. Well, Aston, I love LA. Definitely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story with us and all of the updates. I know fans are buzzing to get in there and, and check everything out. So we know you're a busy ladies so that we wanted to uh, thank you again for taking oh, well time. thank you and thanks for your insights on all these parks too i love i, I want to interview you next oh I'm, <laughs> let me know we're in yeah court, court's seen them all but two so you can ask her about 38 parks. i love that well the two <laughs> she has I'm sorry, are going to be fun too yeah absolutely okay. all right janet we'll I'll, we'll see you on opening day all right absolutely well, <laughs> all right safe travels back to la thank you okay bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. Who's ready for a Dodger dog? <laughs> right? How can you not be fired up for this season after that? I know. it's. I'm still mourning the fact that we weren't able to be there last year, but I feel like brighter days are coming and we will finally have our butt in the seats at Dodger State. Well, our butt in a seat. I'll tell you one thing we didn't talk about <laughs> that is also has been upgraded which I didn't think was a possibility. It, the the elevators? The, well, we talked about the elevators. The speakers in Centerfield are so loud. Oh. Like the bass is just... DJ Severe's just bumping or what? DJ Severe. And Ooh, Dieter. DJ Severe. And Dieter, those are some guests we might need to have on here. Don't spoil my guest list. You don't oh. know who I have in mind. I don't. You don't share it with me. I know. Remember Dieter played the podcast song? When you would make a out last year, but if you had to be what, well, you had to be watching the game, obviously, because no one was there, but you had to kind of really listen on TV. I wonder if he's going to do it again this year. You didn't notice. You told think. me, well, I, after you told me, I noticed. Yeah. He's clever today when the angels outfielders had a little bit of a misstep. 
Um, he played the Blinded by the Lights. Um, he played the Weekend. Um, is it Blinding Lights or how, what's the actual name of the song? Is it when I hit the ball into left it's like field? Blinded and, by and the Light, but it's the yellow Weekend version. No? no, I know the one you're thinking of, Blinding Lights. Oh yeah, yeah. That was, it, that was I love that because I love the sneaky little like clever kind of like snarky things that they do. He has them all. I know. And he's quick. And I just really don't know if everyone fully appreciates them. I feel like you really have to pay attention. And a lot of times with the names, like he'll play a song where like you kind of have to th- like with Ross Stripling, he would play like the Friends theme song. And so tonight think- when D May struck somebody out, he would play All We Are is Dust in the Wind. Dustin. Yeah, he's so <laughs> clever. He's so good. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have him on and pick his brain. Yeah, but what a what a great conversation with Janet. That was so cool for her to come on here. And I really hope that everyone gets a chance to get into the stadium this year and see all the upgrades. And you got to make sure you you take that full lap all the way around because it is walkable now around the entire stadium. And check out all the restaurants and the bars, CPK, Dunkin' Donuts, new sponsors this year. That's yeah. exciting. Um, I don't know what's like fully going to be open at first, but it's, I mean, just taking true. all it, everything in. Because yeah. when we had our little sneak peek, it was like nothing was open and it was still magical to look at. So, Well, it's kind of cool back there too. They have like picnic benches and there's TVs everywhere. So you can actually, when you go back and you sit back and whatever, get a drink or get some food. You can sit at the picnic tables and watch the game on TV as well. So, yeah, there, I mean, it's awesome. And it's going to be awesome for fans. Kids are going to love it. I just feel like there's so many places for them to run yeah. around and explore and all that. And it's all about the food too. So mm-hmm. we're ready. We're ready. You're ready. Home opener. Let's do it. I know. I'm ready. <laughs> are we still fighting you dropped a shreddy vetter on me <laughs> <laughs> that was clever i don't even think dita rule could have pulled that one off because every time i do my piles i'm like so proud of them and i'm just admiring them and then you just come home and you're like oh shred pile cool i'll do that so you're all you've all in my head i'm always like oh shreddy vetter is at it again well so many nicknames for me <sighs> Alrighty. Well, we can't, we got to clear up this negative energy. We're going into the season. We got to keep it positive, 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 positive. All right. Let's do it. Go team. Go team. <laughs> Let's do it. 2021. Here we go. Predictions. <laughs> Predictions. It's going to be great. Everyone's going to do their best. I'm not big on the predictions. I don't like the like magazine cover prediction. I know I don't like any of that. I just everyone I mean, everyone's great. Everyone's gonna be great. So you <laughs> so don't like uh you don't or you do like the Bill Plasky article in the LA Times? Um, to be a hundred percent honest with you, I haven't read it. I liked the cartoon on it, so um, had to snag a copy of that for the old scrapbook, but I haven't read it. I heard Joe and Oral talking about it and saying that it was um, unusually positive for Bill Plashke, and I don't know. It was weird. 
Yeah, a different. Maybe it's a new leaf for Bill. I think someone wrote the story and then <laughs> Bill just, just claimed Bill Plasky to get it in the <laughs> LA Times. Bill, was that you? If you're listening, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> no, um, I don't know. Everyone talks about like the Sports Illustrated stuff and all that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. I know how what I feel in my heart. I just don't need to verbalize it. Everyone's going to do great. Doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, thanks once again to Janet Marie Smith for taking the time to chat with us. Like I said, she is a very busy woman. And so to get her on here right before opening day was just very exciting. Super grateful for her. And I hope everyone enjoyed hearing about all the new upgrades to the stadium. And hopefully, like Justin said, we will all be at a game this year. That's right. We'll see you out there. All right. That's going to do it. We will talk to you all next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.